Nothing impossible. The only one that can say that is God. Uh, For God, there's absolutely nothing impossible. That's the message of Gabriel to the young woman Mary to let her know that she is going to be a child as a virgin. How can this be? Nothing is impossible. And the story, the testimony, the power of the gospel is that nothing is impossible for God. God coming in human flesh, Jesus living a perfect life, dying for sins and rising again so that we can uh, be saved. So that's the theme of our study this morning, that with God, nothing is impossible. If you join me in verse 26, now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. The sixth month, what is that all about? This is Elizabeth's pregnancy. If you remember last week, Elizabeth and Zacharias were old, barren, not able to have kids. God blessed them with a child, John the Baptist. And she's in the sixth month of her pregnancy. And Gabriel gets the fun assignment to go give another message, this time to Mary. And he visits a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Nazareth is about 15 miles from the Sea of Galilee in northern Israel, not a destination place. In fact, Nazareth is never even mentioned in the Old Testament. If you looked it up, you won't find it in the Old Testament, only mentioned in the New Testament. It's the fact when people are asking where Jesus is from and they say Nazareth, the response was, can anything good come out of Nazareth? This was not a a nice place necessarily in Israel, but it's where Mary is from. It's where Joseph is from. Hey, if it's all right with you guys this morning, we're going to celebrate Christmas in August. We're going to be looking at the birth of of Christ and his conception uh, this morning. But I guarantee you it'll be less stressful this morning than in December. And it'll be better on your budget. (laughs) In verse 27, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, the virgin's name was Mary. So Mary is betrothed to Joseph. Uh, Historians looking at this time period most women would be married in their teen years. She's, she's probably 15, 16 years old. Joseph may have been a little bit older. Betrothal is engagement on steroids. It was even more serious. Uh, to end a betrothal is you'd have to file for a certificate of divorce. For Mary and Joseph, life is going along as planned, Right? They're about ready to get married. They're planning a wedding, probably trying to figure out how they're going to make ends meet and meet their bills and all those type of things. And everything is going to change. Everything is going to change this day when Gabriel comes to visit Mary. In verse 28, And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. The message to Mary is, I want you to rejoice. You're you're highly favored. The Lord has chosen you. He's with you. You're blessed among women. This word highly favored, it actually means to have much grace. Much grace has been given to you. The only time this word is used again in the New Testament is in Ephesians 1 verse 6, the same Greek word. It says, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. And that word, his grace, 
is the same here as highly favored. So the word used to marry is also used to every believer. You're highly favored. You have been given much grace by God. And much grace has been given to Mary as she's going to be the mother of Christ. In verse 27, but when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. What does this mean? What does this mean for Mary? What does it mean that she's highly blessed, that the Lord has chosen her? She's trying to figure this all out and process it. Then the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Don't be afraid. God's favor, God's grace is upon you. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. You're going to have a son. You're going to conceive and you're going to bring forth a son and his name's going to be called Jesus. We also find from Matthew's gospel, as Matthew writes, that the Christ child, his name would be Jesus. And Jesus means for he will save us from our sins. That, that's what Jesus means. When we call out on the name of Jesus, when we celebrate the name of Jesus, it's that he saves us from our sins. So even in the name given to Jesus, it describes his mission. That Jesus came to be our savior. That he came to seek and to save the lost. We go on and we we continue reading in verse 32. He will be great and he will be called the son of the highest and the Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. In this section where Gabriel's giving this news to Mary, we learn a lot about Jesus. And the first is he will be great. And isn't Jesus great? The amazingness of Christ, the, the goodness of Christ. He'll be called the son of the highest. And what's so amazing about the virgin birth and the birth of Christ is you have this reality that Jesus is all God, but he's also all man. He's not like the rest of us and that he didn't have a human father. He was born of the Holy Spirit, but yet he is man. He is clothed in human flesh. So the God-man, he's the son of of the highest. He, he's in human flesh, but he is the son of God. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. This is significant because David wanted to build God a temple, build God a, a house. And Nathan the prophet said, go for it, build God a, a temple. But then the Lord spoke to Nathan that night and said, you got to go back to David and tell him no. And the reason you need to tell him no is because he's a man of war. There's too much blood on his hands. And God said to David, you can't build me a house, but I'm going to build you a house. And your descendants will reign forever. And that's fulfilled in Christ. Joseph, we read, is of the lineage of David. This is going to fulfill God's promise that the Christ child will come from the house of David. And Jesus is going to reign upon that throne of his father David. In verse 33, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. Reigning over the house of Jacob. The house of Jacob is Israel. Jacob had 12 sons that became the 12 tribes of of Israel, and the reign of Jesus Christ will have no end. There's a lot of things happening in the kingdoms of men, isn't there? There's a lot of things happening currently in, in our country as you're following the news. There's, there's a lot happening with Russia and Ukraine. You know, the grain getting out of 
Ukraine so that the rest of the world can have the food uh, that, it, that it needs. Taiwan and China. Well, I've got good news for you. There's one kingdom that's going to last forever, and that's the kingdom of Christ. And all of this, all of this turmoil is ultimately leading up to the second coming of Jesus Christ. We're reading about his first coming, him being born in Bethlehem, him being in the womb of, of Christ and the Immaculate Conception. But his second coming is he comes as a conquering king and he's going to rule and reign forever. It's the one kingdom that lasts forever. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I do not know a man? I am a virgin. There's no way for me to have a child. I'm betrothed and I'm not married. We see Zacharias asking a similar question when the news was given to him that his wife Elizabeth would be with child. Mary seems to be asking, but not in unbelief. It doesn't seem to be in a place of unbelief. She's not corrected for unbelief. She's just saying, I just don't know how that this can be since I do not know a man. And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of, of God. This is going to be of the Holy Spirit. This is not going to be of Joseph or any other man or through sexual intimacy. This is going to come from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to overshadow you. And the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Notice that emphasis on Christ being the Holy One. Christ is the only one born who is holy, the only one who is born to never sin and live an absolute perfect life, and he will be called the Son of God. How is Jesus born in our lives? Not physically, but spiritually. The Bible calls it being born again. We, the Bible describes Jesus living inside of our hearts, it's a work of the Holy Spirit, isn't it? Christ's physical birth is an illustration of our, our spiritual birth. When we say yes to the work of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit causes us to trust the gospel and we become saved, we become regenerated, and, and God lives inside of us. This was prophesied in Isaiah 7, verse 14, the virgin birth. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. All the way back in Isaiah, Isaiah 7 verse 14, God says, this is going to be a sign to you. The Messiah is going to come through a virgin birth. Why is it a sign? Because it's never happened before and it's never happened since, even so, though some maybe have claimed it, right? That there's never been another virgin birth. This is a supernatural work of God to show God has come in human flesh. Christ has been born among us, and his title is Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. So thankful that God is with us and that he understands this, this human experience. You ever go through those seasons where it just seems like everything breaks at your house, you know? So Amber and I had a chance to go out to a conference in San Diego for a few days this week. And while we were out there, my oldest daughter, she calls and says, hey, dad, the hot water heater's not working. So I'm just like, tough, deal with it. Cold showers are good for you. <laughs> no, it's like, little, let's get someone over to look at that. And, you know, the hot water heater's 13 years old. It's time to go. And so 
got that replaced while, while, while we were gone. But right before we left, our dryer broke. So in the same week, we had the dryer break, and the dryer's old, needs to be replaced. The hot water heater needs to be replaced. So, so yesterday, we get a new dryer, and, and we're putting it in, and all of a sudden, comes to that moment, it's all hooked up. And I didn't measure before I bought the dryer. <laughs> it's like two inches too big, right? And it, it won't fit. So there's room in the laundry room, but I got to move the utility sink over a couple inches to, to get this, this new dryer in. And I, and I was thinking, Jesus understands this human experience. Like, God, in all this power in heaven, comes down in human flesh. Jesus lives a life as a carpenter. And I'm sure there were times where he's like, oh man, right? He knows what it's like. Never sinful, never giving in to sin, never saying yes to sin, but he knows what it's like to be sick. He knows what it's like to be Monday morning and wake up and, and go to work and, and the trials of this life. He had to live under the Roman oppression. He, he's Emmanuel. He's God with us that came in human flesh that understands this human experience. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe the virgin birth? It's important that you do because it's in the Bible. In 1 Timothy, it talks about the mystery of godliness. It says, God was manifest in the flesh. He came in human flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. But God was manifest in the flesh. It's part of, of the gospel. Do you believe in miracles? Yes, because it's in the Bible, right? Miracles where Jesus is feeding the 5,000. Where does it start to believe that God is able to do the supernatural and there's nothing that's too impossible for God? You know where it starts? Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Do you believe that God's the creator? I suggest to you this morning, if you believe that God is the creator, it's not difficult for you to believe the virgin birth. But if you don't believe that God is the creator, it may be difficult for you to believe the virgin birth. If you don't believe that God is the creator, it's easy for you to be in a place where you doubt the resurrection. But if you're in a place of trusting that God is the creator, then you're going, yeah, of course, God can raise his son from the dead. So, so it's important that you start believing the Bible at the very beginning, at Genesis 1 verse 1, because nothing is impossible for God. Nothing is limited for God. This is not hard for God to allow Mary to be pregnant of the Holy Spirit. He's not up there going, I, I got to think about this for a while. How am I going to get my son in, in human flesh? It wasn't difficult for him to create the universe. I, I got to rest for a while. We're doing the creation thing tomorrow, right? No, nothing is too difficult for God. This is very possible for the Lord. It's a sign to us that Christ would come through a virgin. In verse 36, now indeed Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who is called barren. So Mary and Elizabeth are, are relatives. And Elizabeth is an encouragement to Mary. Look, Elizabeth was barren. She's old in age, but yet she's with child. And here's the declaration, for with God, nothing will be impossible. Mary, I know this is difficult for you to understand. 
and believe, but man, God is able to do it and nothing is impossible for the Lord. Is it possible for the Lord to bring restoration and healing in a broken marriage? Yes, absolutely. If two people will put their eyes upon the Lord and seek the Lord, it's absolutely possible for the Lord to do it. Is it possible for the Lord to break the bondage of sin in our lives? Yes, nothing is impossible for the Lord. Is it possible for Jesus to rapture the church like he's promised and to take the church all at once? That's what we're voting for, right? Yes, absolutely, because nothing is impossible for the Lord. Is it possible for Christ to return like he's promised and to rule and reign for a thousand years? Yes, because nothing is impossible for the Lord. Oftentimes, I see my circumstances, this world, challenges and difficulties through the lens of my limitations. But I need to start to look through my problems and circumstances, through the character of God, and nothing's impossible for the Lord. Nothing is is too difficult for the Lord. I love Mary's response in verse 38. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Mary says, Let it be according to your word. Mary could have said, No, I don't want to do this. No one's going to believe this, this virgin birth story. How am I going to tell, tell Joseph? What am I going to share with my parents? But she chooses to have a moment of faith and surrender, and she says, let it be according to your word. The Holy Spirit's a gentleman. No one's forcing Mary into this. And as she chooses to respond to what the Holy Spirit is doing, then God blesses her with child. And the same's true in our lives The Holy Spirit's working this morning. God's speaking through his word. And when does Christ do a work in our lives? When we respond in surrender and faith. And we say, Lord, let it be according to your word. If you're thinking about trusting Christ for salvation, trusting the gospel, believing that Jesus died for your sins and rose again, how is that work accomplished in your life? When you say, let it be according to your word. Jesus, I believe that you died for me and rose again. When we're studying and reading the Bible, and I I hope you're studying and, and reading the Bible, and something stands out to you, whether it's a promise from God or a challenge from God, Lord, let it be according to your word. I don't know how all this is gonna work, This challenges me. This makes me uncomfortable. Try to put yourself in in Mary's sandals. But responding in faith and surrender, saying, let it be according to your word. That's when the Holy Spirit does work in our lives. That's when there's fruit that takes place in our lives. Where does Mary go in verse 39? Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to the city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. Nazareth is up north, Judah's down south, so she travels down south to spend time with Elizabeth. Elizabeth is going to be a refuge to her. Elizabeth is going to understand what God is doing in her life, and she enters into Zacharias and Elizabeth's house. And check this out, it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So as soon as John the Baptist gets in the presence of Jesus, conception has taken place through the the Holy Spirit, and John the Baptist realizes 
that he is in the presence of the Messiah. He does a dance party inside of his mom's womb. I mean, this wasn't just a little tap, 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 tap. This is a, woo, I'm in the presence of the Lord. What does the Psalms tell us? That in the presence of the Lord is the fullness of joy. What's John the Baptist's life going to be all about? Pointing people to Jesus Christ. And he's getting the party started right away. He's getting the party started as, as a six-month-old. And God works in Elizabeth. And the Holy Spirit fills Elizabeth. And Elizabeth, without Mary having to explain it to her, understands what has taken place. And this has to be such a huge encouragement to Mary. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? She's saying, Mary, you're blessed. Of all women, God has chosen you to be the mother of of his, his son. Then she indicates, why has it been granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Elizabeth understands that she's in the presence of the Messiah, that Christ is in the womb of Mary. In verse 44, for indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leapt in my womb for joy. This tells us a lot of things about life. We're going to touch on it for a few moments this morning. And then on Wednesday night, we'll do an in-depth study on why life matters. But think this through for me. From God's word, this is a proof text to show us that life begins at conception. Life begins at conception. God records this for us in detail for a reason. If you're reading this honestly, it's very clear that John the Baptist is alive in the womb as a six-month-old in the womb, six months of pregnancy. There's a lot more going on in the womb than we realize, and he's able to recognize while he's still in the womb that he's in the presence of the Messiah. Also from the text, we see even though the pregnancy has just begun, Elizabeth acknowledges the life of Jesus. She says, I'm in the presence of my Lord right now. At the beginning of this pregnancy, still in the womb, and Jesus isn't even born yet. As you study the scriptures, it becomes very clear that life begins at conception. And unfortunately, culture is really contesting this. But John is not a fetus. Jesus is not a fetus. They're babies. And they're baby boys in the womb. And so life begins at conception. And conception is an absolute miracle. The fact that your mother conceived you in her womb is a miracle. When you study the science, it should never take place, but God allows it to take place. God is the author of life. So as believers, we should love life because God's all about life. Amen? And to say, I'm committed to to life in the womb. I'm committed to life outside of the womb. I'm committed to life for the elderly. I'm an advocate for Not committing suicide, why? Because God is all about life. Do you know we have a voice in Colorado? We have the opportunity to vote, don't we? And we want to vote biblically. We want the Bible to infiltrate all of our decisions, and and your vote really does matter. So when you vote on the local level, when you vote on the state and federal level, find out where they stand on abortion, because 
it's important to the Lord. Life begins at conception, but also life has a purpose. Life has a purpose. God has a plan for John the Baptist, even though he's in the womb. We were told last week in our study that the Holy Spirit had filled John the Baptist while he was in the womb. God has a plan, obviously, for Jesus. Jesus has a plan. There's a purpose for the life of Christ. Jeremiah, this young prophet, he's nervous about standing up and speaking to the whole nation of Israel. And God says, I don't want you to be afraid of their faces. Before you were in the womb, I knew you. Think about that. God says, Jeremiah, before you were even conceived, I I knew you and I ordained you. I set you aside to be a prophet to the nations. Jeremiah's life had purpose. Also in Ephesians chapter two, it tells us as believers that we're saved by grace and we're his workmanship. And that word is poema in the Greek, like poem. We're his poem that he has created us for good works beforehand that we should walk in them. So our life has purpose. Just like John the Baptist, just like Jeremiah. We go, oh, that's great for John the Baptist. That's great for Jeremiah. But could it be true for me? Yes, God knew you before you were in the womb and he has grace to save you, but also to have good works prepared for you throughout your life. And we find joy in the Lord when we realize that life has purpose. I wanna go a little bit deeper because I think these things really do touch on a lot of cultural issues uh, today is notice that John the Baptist had gender. John the Baptist is male. Notice Jesus has gender. He's called a son. He is a male. Part of our lives having purpose is God chooses our gender. And I know that this is not cultural, but it is biblical. We find in Genesis chapter 1 that God created them male and female. Biologically, you can't choose your gender. God chooses that for you. Our kids are being taught something very different in school. And curriculum has really changed in our schools where they're being taught at very young ages. It's coming into literature, into the library, that you choose your your own gender. And it actually speaks negatively towards parents that would tell their kids, hey, you're a boy, You're, you're a girl. No, don't let your parents tell you that you're a boy or a girl, but you get to decide which gender you uh, want to be. Well, part of our lives having purpose is walking in the gender that God has created for us. So men, if you're created a biological male, it is impossible for you to have kids. Again, that's not cultural, but it has played out pretty true throughout society, right? So walk in the identity that God has given you. Ladies, ladies, if all the ladies in the house, God has created you female, walk in the gender that God has created for you. This is the part of life having purpose. Why is this attacked so much in culture? And why does the enemy attack us so much in this way? Because Satan hates the image of God. And if he can destroy male and female, he destroys the the image of God. So life begins at conception, 
And then life has purpose. Part of that purpose is understanding the gender that he has given to us, walking in that. And then life is valued by God. That's really what we see here with the birth of Jesus. Jesus being in Mary's womb is all life is valued by God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Do you know that your life matters to God? That God created you, that he loved you, that he sent his son to die for you and to allow that to really hit your heart. My life is valued by God, but not only my life, but everyone's life, no matter what ethnicity they are. God doesn't leave anybody out of the gospel, amen? Jesus came and he died for the world, but he also doesn't elevate one ethnicity over another. We have equal footing at the cross. We're all sinners who have a savior where Jesus died for us. It's amazing how the Bible clears up cultural issues, doesn't it? It's amazing when we look at Jesus Christ, how he sets us free and the truth of Jesus Christ sets us free. Verse 45, blessed is she who believed for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. She believed there's gonna be a fulfillment of these promises that were given to her by Gabriel. Mary's response in verse 46, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. She's just so excited about what God's doing in her life. She magnifies the Lord from her soul, from her inner person. And my spirit has rejoiced in God, my savior. She understands that she needs a savior and she's rejoicing in God. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. It doesn't appear that Mary comes from economic status. She's not part of the royal family. She's saying, I'm a, a maimed servant. I'm from Nazareth. I have, I have lowly status, but she is humble. For Christ to be born in our lives, it requires faith and humility. Us realizing that we, we need Christ. In verse 49, for he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. There's some similarities to the praise of Mary and also the praise of Hannah from the Old Testament who was barren and God blessed her with, with Samuel. Verse 50, and his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. God's mercy comes when we fear him, when we respect him, when we put him in his proper place. And this mercy goes from generation to generation. Verse 51, he who has shown strength with his arms, he has scattered the poor in the imagination of their hearts. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. So resisting the proud, giving grace to the humble, but resisting the proud. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he sent away empty. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. In verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. She understands the birth of Christ is God's mercy and God's blessing for the nation of Israel. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his seed forever, that through the descendants of Abraham, the nations will be blessed. This is a fulfillment of this. Jesus coming through the nation of Israel and bringing blessing to the whole world. 
And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her house. What a comfort as God weaves this story together that Elizabeth and Mary are for each other. For both of these women, it's their first pregnancy. There's just a lot of years in between them, right? Elizabeth would understand Mary's morning sickness. And Mary's watching this pregnancy progress from six months to to nine months. But even more than the physical comfort, the spiritual comfort of of Elizabeth experiencing this miracle in her life and and Mary experiencing this miracle in her life as well. Now we do the math. She came in the sixth month of the pregnancy. She stayed for three months. It's possible that Mary stayed until the birth of of John the Baptist. The next thing we're going to study Next week will be the birth of John the Baptist. She may have left just prior to the birth of John the Baptist, or she may have been there when John the Baptist was born. What does this text tell us about God? (laughs) Nothing's impossible for God. And God in his love for us sent his son to be the savior of the world, that God would come in human flesh, the humility of Christ, The creator of the universe is now in the womb of Mary. It also shows us how to respond to the work of Christ in our lives, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Oh, that we would have the response of Mary this morning and say, let it be according to your word. As you're thinking about making a decision for Christ, for those that don't know Christ as your savior, may you say, let it be according to your word. Jesus is the one that's declared that he loves you, that he died for your sins, that he rose again. He declares there's heaven and hell. And will you turn from your sin and trust him and allow him to be your savior? Let it be according to your word. For those that know Christ as our savior, may this be our response to the work of Christ this morning. Is Jesus, let it be according to your word. What's God been speaking to you? What's he been challenging you with? Let it be according to your word. I hope that you're enjoying the study of Luke. We're just getting started. Read ahead. We'll finish up uh, chapter one next week. Let's stand together and let's pray. Father, we're humbled that you would send your son to be our savior, but we're so thankful. Jesus, we, we thank you that you are our faithful and merciful high priest, that you understand this, this human experience. You understand the temptation of sin, but you never sinned, that you're Emmanuel, God with us. And we want to respond in the same way that Mary did. Let it be according to your word. God, when you speak, let it be according to your word. May we respond in surrender. May we respond in faith, in obedience. And Lord, we thank you that life does matter, that you have searched us, you've known us, your thoughts are towards us, that you knew us even before we were in our mother's womb. God, for those that are just struggling with the value of their life, Lord, would you speak to them that you love them, that you created them, that you have great plans for their life. Lord, we need you. We want to draw close to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.